the, the whole Laurel Yanny thing gets you thinking because it's so funny how you can hear the same sound bite. I mean, all of us in here heard the same thing, yet we processed it very differently, didn't we? Yeah, we're all hearing the same thing. It's not like half of you are hearing one version of it and half of you are hearing the other version of it. We're just processing it differently. And that's, that's really the problem with communication. Communication, the way that we as humans work with communication is we, we might say something, but it gets processed very differently. And even in how we say certain things, there's a lot of other elements and factors that come into play on how that information is processed. Right now, you're able to hear and process what I'm saying because I have a microphone. So the volume of my voice is being exaggerated so that you could actually hear me. Without a microphone, volume, actually, the lack of volume, will limit and hinder communication. So just for now, as people, you have to be at least in close proximity or else communication doesn't work. We have limited communication. Well, I've got cell phones and I can text. Sure, until you don't have cell service. And now all of a sudden, distance becomes a factor and lack of service becomes a factor. Are you getting it? All of these factors come into play on how communication works between individuals. Now what's fascinating is God does not have those same, those same hindrances. In fact, he's telling us at any point, pray and I'll, I'll hear. Pray and I'll listen. We've been talking about prayer for the last several weeks. Let me show you. Out of the book of James, he gives us these two extremes. We're not going to land in James. In fact, if you have your Bible, we're going to end up in Jonah. So if you want to start heading over to Jonah, we'll see a prayer out of Jonah. But I want, want to at least help you understand the extremes of what God is giving us permission to pray with. Here's what James 5.13 says. Is, any among, is anyone among you in trouble? We'll let them pray. Is anyone happy? We'll let them sing songs of praise. Two of those, both of those are prayer elements. And he says, if you're in trouble, what's the answer? What do we do? We pray. And if things are going great, what do we do? And we sing songs of praise. That's, that's a way to pray. So we either pray with praise or we pray with need. But the point is, he's giving us these two extremes. And God's saying, between these two, when you're in trouble or things are great, and anywhere in between, talk to me. Have a conversation with me. Pray to me and let's dialogue back and forth. Again, prayer is a two-way street. It is a dialogue of, of communicating and listening. Communicating is assumed there's a listening factor and a listening component so that we can process. And so often we get stuck in these places where we put a hindrance on our prayers or we put a hindrance on God's ability to hear our prayers that is not there. Now, yes, you go through scripture and there's, there's some clarity on when God chooses to not hear a prayer. And that's a whole different subject that deals a lot with our, our radical and, cons and consistent disobedience. But based on these parameters of when you're in trouble and when you're doing great and everywhere in between, praying he's going to hear you. Praying he's there. We put a hindrance on God hearing our prayers. Well, well I'm just too far from God. God, I mean, I, I've been so far away and, and I'm starting to turn back, but God, you couldn't hear my prayers because I'm just so far away. Or God, you, you, you don't even want to hear my prayers. I've heard that one as a pastor. Well, God doesn't want to hear what I have to say. We start to come up with reasons, false reasons, of why our prayers would be limited or God would limit our prayers. And James is making it pretty clear. When you're in trouble, what? Pray. When things are great, pray. And anywhere in between, he desires that kind of a relationship and wants that kind of a communication 
with us. So like I said, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. And the reason we're looking at Jonah is because he was in a tough spot. If you don't know the story, spoiler alert, he ends up in the belly of a fish. And what a great place to pray. Would you agree, based on James 5, he's in a place of trouble? Most definitely. If you don't think being in the belly of a fish is a, is a place of problem and trouble, well, that's a whole other discussion. But he is. But what I want you to see is that's not really the problem. We're going to see some other problems begin to, to show up in Jonah's life that's going to speak to not just needing to pray, but I want you to more so see the power of prayer how prayer actually works. So as we go through the story of Jonah, I want you to be thinking through, what is prayer actually doing? What is the result of Jonah's prayer? Because that's what we're looking for. In times of trouble, in times of great, things are going great, we pray in all of those things. Ephesians, we looked at it several weeks ago. In all situations, in all circumstances, continue to be praying. So what is prayer actually doing? Is it doing any good in Jonah's life. So here's where we'll pick it up. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, sets up the story. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go, this is what God told him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So he was given some very clear instructions from God. God looks at Jonah, Jonah, you need to go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, but they don't know any better. They've not heard about me yet. So he told Jonah, go and talk and speak to the people of Nineveh. Let them know about me and my goodness and my grace. And when they see that, they'll understand that what they're doing is wrong. And they'll come, come back to me. They'll come to me. And Jonah doesn't like this idea. And he, in fact, not just goes away from it, he runs the opposite <laughs> direction from it. And you got to understand here, this is, not a, this is not a he doesn't believe in God. This is not a I don't, I don't really even trust God. This is a I don't like God. And you got to make sure we distinguish those two because some people run away from God or go the opposite way of God because they just don't believe in him. But Jonah's doing it because he's not agreeing with God right now. Right? I see this in my toddlers um, all the time where you ask them to do something, and that's the first mistake as a parent. You're like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I, I, asking denoted that you have a choice in this. You don't. I'm telling you to do something. This is what God says here. He told him to do something. And what does Jonah do? He crosses his arms, and he looks up at God and says, I don't want to. Because, of course, he has to say it like that. Anytime you say, I don't want to, you have to do the nasally toddler voice. I don't want to. And and he says, well, God, I, it's not that I don't believe in you. I totally believe in you. In fact, he's having some form of a dialogue with God, and he will even later, as we'll see. But he goes the opposite direction. And in conflict, when you disagree with someone, you have just a few options. If you generalize them, technically there's five, but we're going to sum them down into basically three, where you either agree with them or you give in to them. It's like, okay, I'll do what you tell me to do. You compromise or some version of cooperation or compromise where there's, you find kind of a middle ground or you do your own thing. In all of our relationships, you really have those three options. And as parents, we look at our kids and says, no, it is my way or the highway, so you will do what I tell you. In some instances, with especially maybe in a work environment, you try to maybe have some kind of a cooperation or compromise. But at some times, we just say, I'm going to do my own thing. You do you, I do me, and that's what Jonah decides to do. I believe in you, God, but I don't agree with you, God, so you do you, I'm going to do me, and he goes the opposite direction. In fact, let me show you exactly how opposite he went. There's Joppa, right? Joppa, scripture told us that he went down to the port of Joppa. He bought a ticket to get on a boat to go to Tarshish. 
Tarshish is the complete opposite direction as Nineveh. Complete opposite direction. So this wasn't a, oh, I'll kind of make my way to Nineveh and detour. No, he blatantly disregarded God's command because he did not agree with God's command. So often we get in that spot. Because he's not running away from God. He's running away from God's will. Two very different things. He's not running away from God. He's running away from God's commands, from God's will. Here's what I'm telling you to do. Jonah says, I don't agree with that. I would rather do my thing. And my thing is 2,500 miles that direction versus that direction. So he gets on a boat and he heads completely in the opposite direction, running away again from God's will, God's command, not necessarily just the belief and idea of God. Now, you may or may not know the story. He gets on that boat. He starts sailing in that direction. God obviously is still in control. You can't really run away from God, can you? And so Jonah learns that pretty quick. A big storm comes, and the boat that they're on is about to sink. Jonah says, well, if you throw me over, God will calm the storm. They throw him over. And then what happens? He gets swallowed by a big fish. That's exactly right. You look at that one, the very end of chapter 1, verse 17 says, now the Lord, this is after Jonah got thrown into the water, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, I do love that scripture says that the Lord provided the big fish. You got to laugh a little bit at that. The Lord provided a big fish to swallow up Jonah. Let me just say this. And this is kind of a little bit of a tangent, but, but I want you to at least hold on to this because this is going to apply to a few of you in the room, and I think you need to hear it this morning, is the problem that you're in may or may not be caused by God, but God has sent something to help you, and you're still viewing it as a problem. Let me kind of say that again. Whatever is happening in your life, I'm not saying God caused that to happen. God did not cause Jonah to run away from him. That was the real problem. The fish actually saved him. If there was no fish, Jonah would have drowned. So whatever you're dealing with now, you're calling it a problem, it may be saving your life. You may have to work through it, and it may take a little bit, and it may be smelly and nasty in a place no one wants to be, but the Lord sent something and is providing something for you that you're calling a problem, but in fact is actually getting you back to where he wants you to be. So he sent this big fish to swallow Jonah. He was in there three days. And of course, just like James says, when you're in trouble, what do we do? We pray. When things are great, what do we do? Pray. Can we all agree Jonah's in a bad spot? <laughs> Most definitely. It's in the belly of a fish. I'm not sure there's too many worse places to be necessarily. I've never been there myself, but I can imagine it would be pretty horrific and pretty terrible. So of course, Jonah begins to pray. And we're gonna go through his prayer and kind of dissect it because there's a few elements here that, again, go back to the question I want you to ask. What is the result of this prayer? How is Jonah's prayer helping and changing his situation? So chapter two, we get his prayer. Verse one, from inside the fish, inside the fish, in the midst of that problem, in the midst of what he's dealing with, from inside that fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Here's what he said. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. We said earlier that there's, there's limitations we place on God that don't exist. Understand the significance of what he just prayed. 
He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to me. There is no distance that keeps God away from hearing our prayers. Now, yeah, there are some heart conditions where we turn away from God and we are unable to hear him. And he chooses, chooses to, to let us wander a little bit. But Jonah is in the deepest, darkest, worst place he has been and probably will be. And he says, in my distress, you still answered me. And I cried out of the deepest pit I could think of as he's trying to explain his situation. And you still heard me and you still answered me. There's no distance that you can be from God that he cannot hear and answer your prayer. There's no pit that you have dug or fallen into that is so deep that God is too far away to hear your prayer. And that's unbelievably significant because that's not the way our culture works. Again, we have limited communication just by our nature. It's just the way that our world works. God's world and how he listens and answers our prayers is very different, and, and we have a hard time comprehending that because it's not how we work. When we have a problem, we have to go through the right channels. Do any of you know Tony? And, and not just like a Tony, but like the Tony. Probably don't know. He is the CEO of Windstream. Now do you know Tony? <laughs> I've tried to get to know Tony. I can't. <laughs> when there's a problem, you try to call Tony. You try to email Tony. And Tony's not the one that responds back, is it? No. It's one of his minions that calls you back, <laughs> isn't it? Right. No disrespect for Windstream, but you can't just pick up a phone and call the CEO and tell him you have a problem. You, you can't. No, what do you do? You, you pick up the phone and you call customer service, and there you get an individual who, who, bless their heart, doesn't have the ability to change your situation. And so you just unload years and years of frustration to this poor individual who's getting paid minimum wage and doesn't know you and says, I'm sorry, we wish we could help. And he says, well, you can't help. And you're like, exactly, that's the problem. Can I speak to someone else? So then they transfer you to someone else thinking maybe this is the CEO. Do you get the CEO? No, you do not. You get another individual who doesn't know you and who's getting paid slightly more than minimum wage. And, but it's a job, and it's their job, and they have been given a very difficult job to do, and we make it a little bit harder, don't we? Think about that next time you call in. And so we think they'll be able to solve our problems. Oh, and the problem just gets getting passed and passed and passed until you probably just give up or you change service providers. That's the way our limited communication works, and it's in all things, right? Well, I'm going to email my complaint. Well, first of all, it's not very helpful. It's not, not going to move mountains or anything. But we think if I'm loud enough, then maybe someone will hear me and make a difference. But that's not the way our world works. But understand, it's how God works. We have the opportunity to tap into immediately the creator of the universe. The creator of the universe. In times of trouble and in times where things are going great and anywhere in between, he hears us, he listens to us, and he gives us permission to call on him at any point. You don't have to go through me. You don't have to go through your small group. You don't have to go through somebody that you think is further along in their spiritual journey than you. You, right where you are at, in whatever pit you find yourself in, whatever great place in life you find yourself in, you have a direct and immediate connection to God. 
We don't get that in any other relationship except our relationship with our heavenly father. So that's what Jonah starts with. He says, I'm as deep and as low as I can be, yet God, you still heard me and you still answered me. Verse three, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Now stop there for a second because this is interesting. Isn't verse four, let me read it again. It says, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Isn't that what he wanted originally? God said, go to Nineveh. I want to use you to change an entire city of people. And he says, I don't want to. I don't agree with that. I'm going to go do me. So he intentionally made the choice to go away from where God was calling him. Yet now he's like, yeah, this isn't what I thought it would be. I thought doing my own thing was going to be a whole lot better than it really was. I thought living the life the way that I wanted it, not having anybody to answer to, I thought that's the life that would have been a lot better. But now he's in the belly of a fish. Again, a problem from Jonah's perspective, but as we know the bigger picture, it's actually what saved him. So he's in the belly of the fish now reflecting, saying, this isn't where I thought I'd be. This isn't how I thought this would turn out. I thought I could have started a life and it would have been great in Tarshish and I could have done my own thing away from God's command. And now he's saying, I I miss that. I miss your presence. I am no longer, I have been banished from your sight, he said. A few moments ago, that's what he was trying to do. And we start to see a little bit of a change of heart, a change of perspective in Jonah. It's like, I want that back. Running away from God and his will hasn't turned out the way that I wanted. I miss the presence of my heavenly father. Verse five, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God. It's interesting that now he's making it personal, isn't he? The Lord, my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's love for them. But I, ooh, verse nine, now a major change of heart. Look at how he's beginning to change. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Verse 10 And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. You see the change in Jonah's heart from start to finish here? And just this prayer, about about eight verses of Jonah praying, and we see a pretty big change. He starts out with, as deep as I could be, God, you still heard me and you still still listened to me. And and I know I walked away from you, but it's not what I thought it was going to be, so I want that back. Then he started to recognize just the realities of what he's in. I'm in over my head. The seaweed's wrapped around me. I'm as deep as I can possibly can go. He's given all this wonderful poetic imagery too. But then he gets to verse nine. Remember verse nine? He says, but I with shouts of grateful praise. You have to have a change of heart to be able to say that while in the belly of a fish. But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good Now, what's fascinating to me is he says that. He says verse 9. Praise verse 9. But if you start at verse 9 and go all the way back through his prayer, nowhere is the prayer that I would expect him to pray. Nowhere is the prayer that I would be praying. God, get me out of this fish. (laughs) 
God, please get me out of this fish. God, I am sorry. Please get me out of this fish. God, I will never do that again if you only get me out of this fish. See, we get stuck in that place. Before we get to verse 9, we usually say these types of prayers, typically, generally speaking, but we stop around what would have been verse 8. And then we start to make a deal with God. Oh, we're very good at making deals with God. God, I expected Jonah's prayer to be more like, God, I will go to Nineveh if you get me out of this fish. God, I will turn back to you if you rescue me from my current situation. God, if you will do this, then I promise, I swear, I will do this. We don't see that at all in Jonah's prayer. He makes the statement and the promise without there being any condition or strings attached to it. He says, God, I'm going to sacrifice gratefully. I'm going to shout with grateful praise, in fact. That all happened before he got out of the fish. And nowhere in here do we see a promise that God was going to rescue him from the fish. He doesn't know how long he's going to be in this fish. He doesn't know how long it's going to last. He doesn't know he's going to make it out alive or not. All he does is he says, God, I'm yours, no matter what. No matter what. And then afterwards, God had the fish get rid of him. We get stuck in that place of, well, God, if you don't, then I won't. But if you will, then I will. It's a bad place to be, and it's not a healthy prayer life. It goes back to what we originally looked at Jonah being as kind of childish of, well, I don't want to. Well, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. <laughs> I mean, you can just feel the, the conflict of this back and forth, and we do that with God so often. Well, God, you, if you don't do what I'm, what I'm asking you to do, then I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. But instead, Jonah got rid of the childish for at least a moment. If you keep reading through Jonah, you'll see he reverts back to it. It's this back and forth. But he gets to a place where he says, I'm yours no matter what. Even if I don't get out of this situation, even if I do get out of this situation, I will still come back to you. So what happens next? Fish gets rid of Jonah. Let me show you just real briefly chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim, it to, and proclaim to it the message I give you. The exact same thing that we read in chapter 1. Verse 3, a little bit different this time. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took him three days to go through it all. Now, here's, here's what I want you to ask again. Remember the question? What good did this prayer do? What was the result of Jonah's prayer? As of this point, nothing has changed. The beginning of chapter 3 is exactly where chapter 1 started. Literally. The Lord came to Jonah and said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Here's what you need to preach. And the whole reason Jonah ran away is because he didn't want to do that. And so his prayer had nothing to do with changing the situation, changing God's mind, changing his call, changing his will, changing his environment, changing his status, changing his situation. Jonah's prayer had nothing to do because it didn't change anything. What his prayer did do is it changed him. This became a prayer that changed Jonah's heart, but that was it. It did not change anything else. Lisa Turker said this. She said, the reality is my prayers don't change God, but I am convinced prayer changes me. Praying boldly boots me out of that stale place of religious habit into authentic connection with God himself. So often we come before God in prayer trying to change all kinds of things. 
That's not a bad thing. We're supposed to do that. He says, on all occasions, in all situations, yes, pray for all things. Remember, in trouble and in good times. But may we not neglect our own heart and our prayer life. May we not neglect what needs to be changed here and here first. Our mind, our focus, our perspectives, our perceptions, our hearts and our attitudes, our moods. May those things be part of what is changed throughout a healthy, regular, consistent prayer life. Jonah wakes up after he prays this, and yes, he's out of the fish, but again, he's right back where he started. So often we would look at that as a, well, God didn't answer my prayer, then did he? I'm right back where I started. Nothing's changed. Are you changed yet? Prayer changes us. It is the greatest change agent we have in our relationship with God. He listens. He answers And oftentimes those answers have to do with our own heart, our own mind, and our own thinking. And the biggest thing that we see is this shift, this major shift from Jonah chapter 1 to chapter 3. And nothing else changed other than his heart. This major shift from childish to back to childlike. You've heard that phrase, a childlike faith. Childlike faith is a great thing. Right, Because we believe and, and we have hope and joy even in difficult times. Childlikeness is great in a relationship with Jesus. Childishness is when, is when it's all about me, when it's all about the I. And we see this big shift for Jonah where he goes from childish, moves to childlike, all because of this prayer we read out of chapter 2. Chapter 1, he started out with, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. Doesn't matter, I don't want to. You say that way, I'm gonna go literally the opposite direction. Started out very childish, but through this prayer, he shifted into a childlike faith, where by the end of that prayer, he was saying, I'm gonna be grateful no matter what. I'm yours no matter what. That is a big shift from where he was to then where he ended up, from childish to childlike. Our prayer life can do that. It is not the only thing prayer does, but prayer most certainly impacts and changes us. It's not just about praying for someone else. Do that, and it's not a selfish thing to pray for yourself because you're praying, God, make me more like you. Help me shift from childish to childlike. So I'm going to help you do that. If you're a note taker, you're going to love this. The rest of you is going to think it's a little cheesy, but it's going to help. We're going to spell out pray, P-R-A-Y, and each of those is going to help in Moving from a childish faith to a childlike faith, using prayer to do just that. So there are going to be power, that's the P. Then R stands for relational. A stands for authentic. And then the last one, the Y, is your, and I'll explain how that fits in. So let me kind of unpack those a little bit. The first one is power. If you're going to have a childlike faith and you want prayer to move you from childish to childlike, you have to truly believe in the power of prayer. It can't just be, uh, well, I'm talking to the ceiling, or it's this ritual thing that, you know, the pastor on Sunday told me I have to do. No, you have to believe in the power of prayer. You're moving from childish to childlike. Max Lucado said it this way. He said, our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. So the childlike prayer is one that recognizes I'm talking to the creator of the universe. The childish prayer is, well, who knows if this is actually going to work. Let's see if, it may, see if it makes the top 10 list for God today. No, childlike says I believe in the power of prayer and who I'm talking to. 
power of prayer moves us towards a childlike faith. Relational. Relational. This is probably the biggest one out of all of these four. Is relational says it's both. It's not just all about me, but it has to have something because I need to be changed too. So a relational prayer of God help the world around me. We've talked about that. God help the people around me. We've talked about that. But God also change me. And understanding that the childish prayer, the childish faith says, well, if you don't do this, then I won't do that. Remember, that's where Jonah used to be, used to be in that place. The childlike prayer says, God, even if you don't answer this prayer the way that I want, having a conversation with you is the highlight of my day. Even if I don't get what I want, having a conversation and a dialogue with you, Father God, is what I look forward to. See, it becomes, in the childlike faith, it becomes more about the relationship with God. And prayer strengthens that relationship. Just like when you talk with your kids, or you talk to your spouse, or you talk to your friends, it develops that relationship. The acquaintances that you have in life, you don't have deep and meaningful conversations with regularly. The more you have that with God, it develops a childlike faith because of the relational aspect. The A is authentic. Authentic. We see a lot of that in Jonah's prayer. Where you're not just praying, well, here's, here's the script I'm supposed to read. No, it was him in chapter 2. It needs to be you in the chapter of life that you're in right now. And let me give you some, some advice based on Jonah here. If you don't know what to pray, pray the obvious. That's what Jonah did. The engulfing waters threaten me. The deep waters surround me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. The, the earth beneath me barred forever. I mean, he's, he's just saying, here's my current situation. When you don't know what to say to God, just say, here's where I'm at right now. That's authentic because it's you. It's personal to you and your situation. Pray the obvious. Pray the obvious. Last one is the your. Here's what I mean by your. What needs to change in your heart? What needs to change in your mind? What needs to change with your attitude? What needs to change with your outlook? Allow prayer to change those yours in you first. David said this. He, he said a very famous prayer. He says, Lord, give me. Look, he says, create in me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me. Do something new in me. That's a great prayer to pray. Don't just pray that one. That one's David's. Make that your own. What needs to be created in you? What needs to be developed in you? What needs to be destroyed in you? If you want to have a prayer life that moves from childish to childlike, believe in the power of prayer. Understand that the relational results is more important than you just getting the results you wanted, the answer that you were hoping and expecting. It grows your relationship with God. That's more childlike than it is childish. Be authentic. Pray the obvious. Pray your current situation. Here's where I'm at. I'm not sure what to do. But then ask the your questions. What needs to change in your heart, your attitude, your mind, and your outlook? And allow prayer to change you first. We're very quick to pray for other people. You, know, you ever had that? It's like, oh, I'll pray for you. Or you go and ask other people for prayer. I mean, we're quick to pray for other people. What needs changed here? A healthy prayer life will change you as well as it'll continue to change the world. Jonah, as I said, he has this up and down life. If you read through, it's a pretty short book. You read through, he reverts back to childish, then he kind of finds childlike again, reverts back to childish and finds childlikeness again. That's our life. So don't get down on yourself if you, in talking through this, you're like, man, Brian, you're stepping all over my toes. Stop preaching to me. That's okay. 
we all find ourselves in childishness times. Through prayer, may we find childlike times as well. So through the power of prayer, we grow our relationship with him. We pray our current situation, are authentic with our creator, but we allow him to change us as well. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to ask you, if you'll just close your eyes, and the reason I want you to close your eyes is because not it's super spiritual or anything, but I want you to stop focusing on me and my big head up on the screen for just a few minutes. So close your eyes, and I want you to identify a current problem that you're dealing with. Some current problem. It could be a major problem. You're in the belly of a fish, sort of. It could be a relatively minor problem. It could be a new problem. It could be an ongoing problem. Just whatever problem you want to pick. Pick a problem. Pick a problem. And whatever that problem is, I'm not going to try to figure out and have you try to figure out the cause of that problem. The fact is, it's a reality in your life. So I want to lead you through a prayer of what we just did, that we can have a childlike faith in praying through that problem. God, thank you so much for how great you are. God, thank you for, for being willing to hear us and answer us no matter where we are at, no matter how deep we are, no matter how far we have gotten, no matter how far we have fallen, no matter how deep the pit is that we've been pushed into, wherever we are at, we are not too far for you to hear our cry for help and to hear our prayers and to answer them. James chapter 5, you instruct us to, in times of trouble to pray, so that's what we're doing right now. There's a problem before us. Regardless of how that became a problem, God, it is a problem. And we believe that you can do something about it. You are still in control. God, you are bigger than us. You are wiser than us. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. So God, we trust in the power of what we're doing right now. We believe in you and in the power of our conversation. But God, no matter how this prayer gets answered, we are grateful for the dialogue we get to have. That after, after today, our problem may still be our problem, but we took a step closer to you and you took a step closer to us just by having this conversation. So God, no matter how you're going to answer the, the answers, how you're going to answer our problems as we pray, God, may our relationship with you grow stronger and tighter, move us closer to you. Because God, we're, we're kind of just stuck in the midst of problems, we don't exactly know what to do, which way to go, how to begin to dig out or, or get help getting out. So God, you know what's going on. You know our current situation. Would you just be the helper that you promised to be? And ultimately, God, would you begin to change us first? What in our own hearts needs to change? Maybe it's just coming to you for the first time. Maybe the problem is we just haven't accepted your grace yet. Maybe there's a problem underneath the problem. Maybe we have some pride that needs to be taken away. Maybe we have some, some loose ends that we need to take care of. We need to go and apologize. We need to go and offer forgiveness or ask for forgiveness. So God, may you speak to our hearts, our minds, and the depths of our soul. And may you change us to be more like you at the end of the day. No matter what situations change or don't change, may our prayer life move us to a childlike faith that brings us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.